0: You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams.
1: The JSE has been illuminated this week by a raft of results from JSE listed companies. And most of them, I have to say, have been quite impressive. With me now to cherry pick the results that he thinks were standout is Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective in Johannesburg. Graham, it has been a busy week, hasn't it? And it's almost like reaffirming
0: the SA Inc. story. Uh, yeah, Lindsay. I think it's reaffirming that, and also that we, you know how how strategy matters, and how um, how base effects matter, and and also um, you know how businesses are constructed, and where they make their money, and the impact of currency translation. So there's a there there are a lot of things that we can take out of it, but I think um, yeah, if if I sort of take Pepco maybe as the first example, yes. Um, you know it i was very very impressed with those results um and i'm sure we'll get into some of the granular detail but you know uh having opened 106 stores in in, in a year where we had covid 19 you know wreaking havoc um and and yeah just at its core doing all the things right capturing market share um you know paying down debt strong cash flows so I think that was the key for me. Um and, and I suppose what we're saying when you strip all of it down, strategy matters and execution matters. And I think, you know, if you take Pepcor, for example, um and you look at Mediclinic, for example, um, these companies obviously very profoundly impacted by COVID, um, and, and even a company like Spa, for example, but You know, the plans that you, you make today to strategically position your business, uh, for the future, uh, takes, it takes time, but you know, when you do the right things and you execute well, Um, the results follow. So, yeah, I think that's probably the the key takeaway for me.
1: Yeah, it's been a retail week, hasn't it? I I spoke to the uh, new CEO of Spa earlier in the week, and then yesterday we had Mr. Price, Pepcor, and Lewis Group all coming out with really, really good results. Does that tell you something? Does that tell you that there was, A, pent-up demand, and, B, in the future, demand that is not quite as robust as we've seen in those results, but sort of spending that will continue?
0: Well, Lindsay, I think if I look at Pepco and Mr. Price, for example, I think if you if you look at at Mr. Price, um, you know, in spite of COVID, going into power fashion, making the acquisition of power fashion and and yappy Chef, you know, arguably on very different ends of the spectrum, but um, I think what they're doing is they're saying this too shall pass. But fundamentally, I think both both Pepco, if you look at Pep. Um, and Ackerman's, um, and through the rest of the portfolio, the tacky towns and stuff, sort of focused on, on value for money, uh, focused on, on more, more affordable shopping experience. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's really where the opportunity has been. And, uh, you know, we've seen some of the, the bigger retailers obviously benefiting in part. I'm talking about, for example, apparel and, uh, and and personal goods, you know, you're benefiting from online, but but generally, really battling because uh, you know because people are obviously uh, seeing a massive erosion in, in disposable income, and uh, for that reason, I think everybody's looking for for value, and that's one of the reasons we've been quite keen on Shoprite for a while, um, and why I think Pepco and Mr. Price uh, delivered really good results in what's a very difficult and a very competitive environment. So I think to the point, you know, value matters, and the more affordable you can make things, the better. And I I was quite surprised to see, you know, Pepco actually uh, margins are still very, very good, but, but, you know, uh, sacrificing a little bit of margin. And we saw that, for example, in ShopRite over the previous few years, you know, absorbing margin pressure really, I think, to try and build a, a loyalty base. And I think that, 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 that has worked well. So, um, yeah, but I think the, 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 the bottom line is if you, in the premium market, and we've seen this as an example, or for example, in Edgar's, and we've seen this in, in, uh, as we've discussed many times, Woolworth's and, you know, their positioning of country road and trenery in South Africa, uh, you know, it's just the wrong market to try and, and drive that, that, that you know, retail sales in that sort of segment. So, um, yeah, but I think coming back to it, base effects also matter, Lindsay. You know, we had COVID, we had you know the the sort of run up to COVID, um, and and obviously you know March March results are capturing you know some of the worst of it. And you saw it, for example, in SPA. If mem- memory serves, there liquor sales were down almost eight percent. Um, yeah, so you know you you sort of need to go through the numbers quite carefully, but also not get too carried away by the by the comparatives, because if you take, uh, sorry, I really am jumping around, but if you take That's a company right. like Investec,
1: yeah.
0: Um, you know, Investec reporting in pounds, and, you know, I think you and I were talking maybe a little over a year ago, or around a year ago, about how, you know, how much doom and gloom there was in the RAND, and how many people were talking about 20 to the dollar, and here we are, sort of 1370 in the RAND, I don't have the number on hand, but probably up around 15% to 16%, 17% on a one-year view relative to the pound. So, you know, those currency translation issues do, do have an impact. But if we can just maybe spend a minute on Investec. Um, yeah, just you before know, you do I've spend had, that
1: minute, Graham, yeah. yesterday, I, I looked at the uh, – earlier in the week, there was a day when Investec Limited and Investec PLC uh, both fell around about 4.5%, and I couldn't find a reason for that, and nor could any of my commentators. Uh, and then suddenly yeah. yesterday, it was up nearly 9%. Was there anything to do with the MSCI reweighting? Because I've been very slack, and I haven't looked at the implications of that particular uh, event yesterday, which boosted the JSEs value traded to over 40 billion rand, which was very unusual. But it went through the roof yesterday. What was that all about? And what do you think of Investec?
0: So I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Investec. And I think if you look at the share price over a decade, um, you know, there is exhibit A, B, and C. And it, it, you know, in spite of the fact that they're very smart people, um, you know, truthfully, um, a lot of mistakes have been made over a decade. Um, I think the the splitting of 91 and, and Investec was a, a strategy to try and um, unlock some value. And I think that was successful and it will be increasingly successful. But um, I think in many ways, Investec have at an operational level, you know, made some mistakes. And, you know, they they ran into the burning building that was Kensington and, you know, have opened offices around the world and subsequently shut them down. You know, have become... Big holders of, of golf course de- developments, and so you know they've had their fair share. And I think it's it's because the culture is you know in my I, I sort of see Investec in many ways like the Goldman Sachs of South Africa, and um, you know. But I think it's it, it it's looking to me if I take Investec and and remove ninety one for it. I think Investec is is better placed now. I think it's 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 grown up in a way. Um, of course, the wealth and investment business is an important one, but specialist banking is still very much the engine room in in terms of, of of earnings. But I think it 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 is a better business today than it has been for a long time. You know, I think the the CET capital equity ratio first tier uh, is is over 11%. That's looking um, looking quite good. So on, on most of the metrics, it, it looked very, very good. Um, you know, inflows, I think the the discretionary inflows into wealth and investment in, in SA was, was a little over 7 billion rand, I think record assets under management in the UK. Um, you know, the credit loss ratio, I thought was quite surprising. So, uh, you know, if you say earnings down 9.9% in pounds, there's some currency translation benefits, but... Uh, that's a lot better than we've seen out of the rest of the South African banks. If you look at most of them, you're probably do- talking down a third to fifty percent, you know, into the year to December, which probably captured some some you know a little bit m- more negativity. But um, what I'm saying is, I think it's looking like a better business. But I think we mustn't forget that at its core, Investec is is significantly more. Geared to markets because of the wealth and investment business, because of the, you know, the capital markets exposure, because of the underlying investments that they have in PE and so forth. They are more exposed to, to markets, maybe, than would be a, a standard bank or an ABSA, but um, do you know what Graham I was just going yeah, to interrupt a better- you
1: there because I it's a, it's a silly phrase but I would call Investec a boardroom bank and um, something like Nedcore, for example a high street bank you go to Nedcor and you, you, know, you transact you open an account and you get a, a mortgage and that sort of thing and Nedcor has really really surprised me I know you're a huge fan of standard bank but of the old big four Nedcor is suddenly doing something I'm looking at my screen now albeit it's 15 minute delayed um, at around about noon South African time, 7.5% up after a trading update yesterday, and yesterday it went up as well. What on earth is going on there? Is this something that will uh, trickle down to the other banks as well?
0: Well, I think to make sense of of Nedbank, Lindsay, you actually have to look further back. So, you're you're absolutely right. On a a one-year view, they are now up 63%, which is a lot better than if you take a standard bank, for example. But I think uh, Nedbank also got hit a lot harder, so I think they they were seen to have concentrated property exposure um, significantly more than maybe some of the other banks. So what I'm what I'm saying is is the the share price of Nedbank um, if you go back pre COVID. So let's go back to say the beginning of 2020. Just bear with me one second as I look on, the, on my screen. The share price was 212. It then got hammered all the way down at its worst. I think it was sitting at about 73. So it lost significantly more than half its value. So, yeah, it's it's recovered, but I think it's recovered off a, a very, very low low level. And, of course, some of the the publicity around, you know, the links to, you know, um, Regiment's capital and stuff, I think all of that um, added to a lot of bad news. So I, I think, in a way, you know, it 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 was priced to be the worst of the the big four banks, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. So I think it it was significantly more oversold, and is recovering from from that oversold position. Um, yeah, so I think that that is is my take on on the relative outperformance of Nedbank in the more recent past.
1: Yes, uh, correcting itself, I, I would say, because it hasn't been particularly a punter's favourite or an investment favourite in latter years. Now, Graham, I think the last time I spoke to you, or maybe the time before. You sounded a bit down in the dumps uh, because of certain uh, calls that you'd, you'd made and everyone had made the same calls, but the market conspired against you. You sound more upbeat these days. And I'll take a, an example. For example, Distel, you were a big fan of Distel. What do you make of the corporate activity there? This is a fascinating one to me.
0: Um, I, um, OK, so I mean, we, we obviously have been in Distel for a, for a long time and it's, it has done well for us, uh, bearing in mind we actually go back probably to KWE unlimited so we yes. you know we 've seen some significant value unlocks through um, through different corporate actions uh, my my personal view of it i 'm not sure Heineken is going to pay the kind of price that the market is seeing now um, you know it, 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 it 's a good business with good brands, but um, if you have to be critical of it the the operational results have not been spectacular, um, and the, the you know it, it has traded at a at a PE premium. I think in part because of the speculation around corporate action. Um, you'll remember when SAB had to offload; a lot of people were speculating that you know Remgro, which ultimately controlled it, would 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 swoop in and, and use the opportunity, but they didn't do so, and the PRC obviously came in. So I think there's there's been a, a corporate action premium attached. To to distel for a for a, a long a long time. The last results actually looked better than I expected, but I think there was some, you know, some stockpiling and stuff like that. So at its core, distel is a very very well run business with good brands, um, some really good international brands. I always say, you know, in the good years you make a wee bit of money out of your wine wine businesses, but you know more often than not you you you, you know it's not really a money generator. Although I think Distel has done well. They have moved to, you know, let's call them cheap and nasty, you know, the four cousins and the, the you know, the more popular wines. Um, but I think at a, at its core, the the corporate action premium is excessive. Personally, I would be surprised to see Heineken take it out at these sort of levels because, as good as it is, um, I, I I don't think it gives you an awfully big um, uh, footprint, um, other than in in South Africa, and maybe Heineken could probably create that themselves with less money. Almost like the argument I was having about AB Inbev way back when in buying um, SAB. So, so I think it's it, it's interesting, but I suppose it's an extension of the theme. You know, Pioneer being taken out by PepsiCo, Clover being taken out. So often, you know, money is cheap around the world. South Africa, uh, many South Africans have got a very dim view on, on the future because of the, you know, uh, some of the own goals we've scored. But other, others, foreigners, and particularly, I think increasingly the private equity guys, uh, are seeing opportunities. So I I think, um, coming back to, um, I don't know if I was down in the dumps, maybe my medication is right now, but, um, (laughs) I think, I think what we're seeing is, is companies that we've we've been patient with for a long time, like Argent or York Timbers, you know, or Grand Parade, you know, really kicking into gear nicely. So um, that has been very gratifying. If you just take a company like Argent, which um, you know has more than doubled in, over the last year, you know, everything we thought was going to happen has actually happened, and and that that register getting tighter and tighter through the combination of buybacks and strong hands um, has, has just sort of, you know, compounded the the, the value unlock. So I think it, it has been, let's be honest, Lindsay, you know, we, we look at at what the top 40 index is doing and we tend to forget that, you know, other than Anglos, who's got some uh, South African operations in diamonds and platinum effectively BHP is not a South African company Richmond is not a South African company and if you take the NAV of of NASPAS, very little of it is SA so i think it 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 has been a little bit frustrating over the last couple of years if you were a value manager because the strategy was simply buy NASPASS and a couple of index heavies and you know and you look like a hero and if you were applying your mind you got you know you got uh you got beaten with a big stick. And and that's turned around if you look in the in the it's a, <coughs> excuse me, the last uh, three months, four months, you've seen quite a significant switch where the likes of, of nicepass are actually starting to underperform the broader markets. So, well, yeah, you, you mentioned we, the word value,
1: yeah. Graham. You mentioned the word value, and this has been a theme of the last couple of weeks of uh, interviews that I've conducted before this one. And there was a chap from uh, a London investment house um, a couple of days ago that said, that if you have a look at the value versus growth uh, graph over the, over the last few years, what we've seen over the last, as you said, three or four months of outperformance from value stocks it's a tiny, tiny blip. And he says, there's so much more to go. And that's what I said to him. I said, you value people. You sit around all, if, for years and years. And you go down, the, metaphorically speaking, you go down the pub and you get teased by the, your, your growth peers. Uh, but now suddenly it looks as though you might be the one that's actually at the bar buying a round of drinks, if you see what I mean. And he said that there's much more to come, obviously talking his book. But do you
0: agree with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and paradoxically, a company like Naspas has actually gone from being a growth play to, to being more of a, a value play. But I think, I mean, if you just, if yeah, I mean, it, the, the, the debate around commodity super and ongoing performance out of BHP and Anglos as a driver of the JSD, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I do think there, there are going to be pockets of commodity markets that are going to, that are going to be in a very tight supply relative to demand scenario, but I honestly believe that um, that value is where you're going to get performance. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be a bumpy ride. But what what is gratifying is I, as I've always said, once once people see the value story, and I think you know I, I would encourage the listeners to just go and have a look at at a company like Argent, who who was seen as a dog for a very very long time. Hmm. And, uh, and now suddenly, you know, it's in really tight hands. And my personal view is, is Argent is, is sort of progressively moving towards a delisting because, um, you know, if, if you're not raising capital in markets, if you're not going to get afforded a rating, if your free float is almost non-existent, you eventually get to a point where you say, well, you know, like a bell or whatever, why even be listed? So I think that's the, so in, in answer to your question, yeah, I think, um, I think value or growth at a price is going to become more more of a uh, a theme over the rest of 2021 and although you know some growth counters like maybe certain parts of tech will continue to do well I think they the 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 the, the broader market if I take the Russell 2000 I think the Russell is going to significantly outperform the S&P in in the US and I would argue value counters will definitely do better than growth in SA, especially because truthfully, it's not a hell of a lot of growth, um, you know, so and, and we don't truthfully have a lot of growth sectors. So, yeah, I think that, that value... And, and, and the beauty is if, if, you, if you get it wrong or if the markets get it wrong and the tide goes out, um, you have a shield in value stocks that you don't have when you're buying momentum. Um, and I think that's what we always like. So when we buy things sounds a little bit negative, um, but you sort of always say, okay, well, if it goes wrong and you have to wind this company up, what do we think we're likely to get for it? And that's where, you know, things that have got strong NAV underpins generally underpin themselves by, by good operations, um, give you a, a beautiful shield. You don't actually need markets to be a wonderful place because over time, the underlying asset will give you the performance. You don't need markets to you know, to be awfully buoyant or the economy to be growing at 4 or 5%. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's going to matter, and I think it's going to matter in the world as we uh, – I mean, heaven forbid we actually move to a normalized monetary policy regime, but the world has to move to that. Either the central banks get forced because they uh, sort of misread the, the transitory nature of inflation or, or global markets to start demanding, but sooner or later things will normalize, and, and, and when they normalize – Asset prices that have been fundamentally buoyed by um, by a loose monetary policy will eventually come to earth. But value and, and underlying businesses that have good metrics, like a Pepco, for example, or a Mr. Price, uh, sure, the Mr. Price valuation is a little bit cooked, but um, you know, at least you've got a shield there. You don't, you, you, know, you, you don't need asset markets to be awfully buoyant for good companies to perform. Whereas in in, in growth and momentum, you you, you need exactly that. So very long answer to say, yeah, I agree there's a lot more in value.
1: (laughs) And I'm appreciative of your long answer because it was full of wisdom. Thanks so much for insight, Graham. That's Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or position